Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, America. Welcome to the program. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, being joined by Wayne Wright and Dennis Merritt. Ethel Lopez and Cliff Stewart are on assignment. Welcome to the program again, guys. Hey, it's always a pleasure. I'm glad to be back. Thanks, Sam. Glad to be here. Our phone number this evening, if our listeners would like to call in and uh, have comments or questions, is 347 347- Eight three eight eight nine seven six three four seven eight three eight eight nine seven six. And as you know, we are not attorneys, and a just cause coast to coast does not provide legal advice. So please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. The opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or a just cause coast to coast. But as always, we want to say thank you for taking time to tune in and uh, choosing. Uh, to spend time with us this evening. This evening, we have a pretty good show lined up for our listeners. Uh, we have uh, Alex Dorbey is going to be joining us. He's with the Fully Informed Ju- Jury Association, and Alex has been with us before. And we're just going to talk about some, uh, some of the things associated with jury rights. And then Howell Waltz is also going to be with us, and Howell is going to be talking about uh, his initiative to establish an ombudsman program across the country and uh, they'll both be talking about the things that uh, that are important to their organizations. And then we'll have a profile of the rolling convicted. Uh, we're going to feature Lawrence Adams this evening, and so uh, we're looking forward to that as well. So as far as um, our show is concerned, and most listeners who have been following the program, they know that at Just Cause Coast to Coast, uh, we feature uh, and, and give updates on the IRP6. And the IRP6 are Gary Walker. David Banks, Dave Zerpolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Demetrius Harper. And these are six IT professionals who started IRP Solutions Corporation. And in 2005, the business got raided as, as the uh, business and the business executives were accused of wrongdoing. Now, this case is currently under appeal. And uh, there are several points that are under appeal being a Fifth Amendment violation. One thing that's critical to that is over 200 pages of transcript that's missing. And, uh, and then also we had a speedy trial violation. We have uh, an expert witness was not allowed to take the stand. And, and so, I mean, it's just a myriad of things that are, are in this case. Uh, when it comes to the over 200 pages of transcript, it is amazing that Judge Christine Arguello had a conversation with the court reporter, Darling Martinez, and basically said, there are 200 pages that we're not going to give to the defense because uh, the judge said, I see no good reason for them to be released to them. And that within those pages lies a conversation where there was a sidebar conversation where Judge Arguello forced the IRP six, one of the members of the IRP six to take the stand and testify against uh, against himself. Mm-hmm. which is a Fifth Amendment violation. Right, right. And so that in and of itself is just key to this case. Yes, it is. These gentlemen have been wrongly incarcerated now for over two years. That is not right. That's not right at all. And what I can't understand, uh, of course, this is Dennis talking. I just can't understand 
how, you know, you could be missing transcripts and a, a judge can uh, deny the transcripts to the defendants, their representatives, and nothing happens. I mean, to me, it's like, wow, is is this a, a, a law that we don't know about, that the judge has this much power? And that's why we're trying to do something about this judicial misconduct, because something has to be done. No one should be above the law, not even our judges. And when you talk about someone needs to do something about it, that's why we have uh, a call to action. We have a petition out there where we're asking our listeners to not, not just our listeners, and, and most of you have probably already signed that petition, but, you, you know, think of someone else that has not signed it. Give them a call. Shoot them an email. Uh, shoot them a link to it. It's at change.org. Do a search on IRP6. Again, change.org. Do a search on IRP6 and sign the petition. This petition we're trying to get uh, so that we can uh, contact the uh, Attorney General, Eric Holder, and encourage them, the Department of Justice, to do an investigation in this case. And so we're asking folks to do that. If you'd like more information about the IRP6, go to freetheirp6.org. Again, freetheirp6.org. This website has a lot of information out there. I mean, it's loaded. Oh, it's, it's got a lot of information. A lot of information. And then also, uh, uh, Dennis, as far as we want folks to also call the Attorney General. Hey, we want everybody. I mean, I mean, tell your family members, friends, uh, we want everybody to get out there and start calling uh, Eric Holder's office. Uh, we want you to inquire about the missing transcripts and uh, ask his office to investigate the, uh, you know, the injustice to the RP6 uh, and I got two numbers here for you. Uh, first number is 202-514-2003. And the next number is 202-514-2005. Please, please make these calls. Because I'm telling you, the more people start calling, the more we get things done. Together, we accomplish more. And, you know, Dennis, uh, we have had reports that, you know, when folks call that number, sometimes they, they will actually speak to a person. Sometimes they try and deflect them somewhere else. Exactly. Don't let them do that to you. you, you, you they're going to try to deflect you to Denver, the Denver office. Tell them, no, I, I know I, I made the right call. I want to talk to Eric Holder. Say, <laughs> <laughs> we're calling because Denver won't do anything. That's right. There you go. There you go. And then there's also an issue which, you know, it, it's appropriate that we're going to be talking about jury nullification this evening. But the jury in the IRP6 case, there's some questionable activity that occurred there as well. I mean, number one, you had activity that was going on in the courtroom. Again, like, like I said, you had an expert witness, Andrew Alberelli. Andrew Alberelli is the uh, chief principal officer of uh, Remy Corp. And he is an expert witness in the sense that he understands how uh, the staffing industry works. The crux of the accusation against the IRP6 is saying that they, uh, the way they were doing business with staffing companies was illegal. Mr. Uh, Alberelli was going to explain to them on the stand that the way IRP was doing business was consistent with the industry standard and that there was nothing illegal about the way they were doing business. As a matter of fact, he could name you know, several other companies uh, in the state of Colorado that were doing business exactly the same way. Their corporate executives didn't get uh, uh, indicted didn't stand trial and didn't get incarcerated, wrongly incarcerated. Right. I mean, he's talking about the way that staffing businesses do business, and he's an expert. And I believe the government used him um, in investigating uh, claims of uh, false reporting for staffing agencies. So 
I mean, here's somebody who could come in and he could totally debunk everything that the prosecutor uh, was bringing against the IRP six, and that's why he wasn't allowed to take the stand. That's right. He was going to make them look bad, they, and they uh, copped out by saying that he didn't uh, communicate to the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office that he was going to be testifying as an expert witness. Yet there is a letter on file, and, and you can find that also at freetheirp6.org, uh, where he did communicate to the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office that uh, he was going to testify. And it listed all of his credentials. But uh, aside from the fact that this kind of thing happened in front of the jury, at the end of the trial, Judge Arguello told the jury, you know, thanks for your service and you're free to go. Uh, but by the way, you know, wait for me in the jury room. You know, I want to have words with you. Have okay. something to tell you. That sounds, that sounds a little sweet. Wayne, I wonder what happened in that jury room. I mean, because after that, the jury would not talk to anybody. And, in fact, the jury was told that, or they told members of the um, a Just Cause when they were contacted, we were told not to speak with you and to contact the FBI, and they would take care of it. Now, I've served on a jury. The judge, when we released, we were not told not to talk to anyone not to contact law enforcement if someone asked about the case. This is highly suspicious. Very suspicious. And, and if someone that sat on that jury, uh, if they're brave enough, I, I mean, it's their right. I mean, you don't even have to be brave to come forward and say It's their right to say something. We're asking them to contact us. Yeah, everything in a trial uh, is a matter of public record. And once the uh, trial is over, we're free to talk about that. Hey, yeah, we want the jurors that were a part of the IRP case, IRP six case, to contact us. You can do it anonymously, or you can uh, email us. You can call us at eight five 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 two nine four two five two. We know you saw a lot of uh, discrepancies in this case, or you can email us. We're um, at contact at a dash just cause dot com. Uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear your thoughts, what you saw going to trial. I know you saw a lot of the IRP6 uh, members impeach most of the prosecutor's uh, witnesses. and Easily 90%. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, we're really interested to get your thoughts as to what you saw in the case and what was said behind closed doors uh, that contradicts what was said in uh, open court. That's right. Again, for more information on the IRP6, go to freetheirp6.org. Free Free the IRP6.org. If you'd like more information about a just cause, you can go to www.a-justcause.com. Again, a-justcause.com. We have a lot of helpful information out there as well. To include on our homepage, there is a link to the Justice for All Act, information about the Justice for All Act, and that is an act that's being sponsored by Senator Patrick Leahy. And so we are backing that, uh, endorsing it, if you will, and we're asking our listeners to go out there, click on that link, and, uh, and, and write your congressmen and, and your representatives uh, in Washington, D.C., and ask them to support the Justice for All Reauthorization Act. And that, that's going to reauthorize funds for programs like DNA testing. And it helps to get, I mean, how many people are, are, uh, are yet still in prison, wrongly convicted, and all they need is a DNA test done? And, and I like some of the wording that you see on, on, uh, on, on the senator's website where it says that, you know, not only do these programs help those that are wrongly incarcerated, but then it helps the victims as well. Absolutely. Because 
if if a victim is out there and a person was wrongly convicted of that particular crime, then the real perpetrator is more than likely still out there. Exactly. So this these types of programs serve across the board. So, again, the Justice for All Act, we ask that you support that. Also, for programming information as far as the Just Cause Coast to Coast, go to AJCRadio.com. And uh, for 24 by 7 programming information or 24 by 7 programming on AJC and IRP, go to Live365.com. On Sunday mornings, you can catch a Just Cause Coast to Coast on Progressive Radio Network, and you get there by going to prn.fm. Again, that's prn.fm at 8.30 a.m. Um, is that right? 8.30 a.m. Mountain Time. That's 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And so like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and uh, you can always get uh, up-to-date information on a just cause. Talk, and news, our politics, and Uh, let's go to a couple of news items here. And uh, one thing I want to talk about is one of the articles that we talked about on the previous program. George Arguello was featured in the Colorado Springs uh, Gazette. And it was in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act. I wanted to revisit this <clears throat> because of the fact that in this article, you know, it gives a lot of accolades for the judge and 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 she is basically crediting herself. The civil, well, she's crediting the Civil Rights Act also, True. you know, with opening doors to to allow her to to, to get to places that would have otherwise uh, she would have otherwise not attained. She talks about racism. She talks about you know basically being the underdog here, and you know it. it and I talked about this on the program the other night, where in the article it says that uh, the judge. She categorizes herself in her own terms. This is quoting from the article. It says, I don't focus on discrimination or look for slights. I'm not a Latina judge. I'm a judge who happens to be Latina. And, you know, when I read that, I made a little note off to the side, and and, and it's like, well, if you don't focus on discrimination, who will? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I said this the other night as well from the standpoint that she has allowed herself uh, and, and maybe not allowed herself, but she has uh, has positioned herself to be an instrument of discrimination. Yes. And and when you look at, you know, the, the IRP-6 case, and you have Gary Walker, who is the chief architect of the case investigative lifecycle software, the Silk software, this is a group of men who uh, started a business, drew the attention of the highest law enforcement agency in the land, I mean, you know, at the time it was a new agency as far as the Department of Homeland Security. But under the Department of Homeland Security, you had the FBI, Secret Service. And these folks were present at a demo that was done by IRP Solutions. Uh, The Department of Homeland Security contacted IRP Solutions and said, we we understand you guys are developing something that we need to see. We need you to come and do a presentation for us, basically. At that presentation was the FBI. Secret Service, Federal Air Marshals, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, and sometimes I refer to it as the alphabet soup of, of law enforcement. <laughs> That's <laughs> another way of looking at it. And, and they blew it away. I mean, Gary and David hit it out of the park. You go, first of all, you're wrongly accused of something. Right. 
It takes them two grand juries to indict them. And, and then the, the, that first grand jury came back with, uh, I believe there's a comment made, so if I don't pay my bills, you're going to lock me up? Yeah. I mean, the first grand jury got it right. It was a, it's a debt collection case. It's a, it, I mean, what company in the United States is not in debt? Exactly. Right. And when you're a startup company and you're using this venture capital to get started, uh, it's going to take a while before you can return oh, that investment. Definitely. I mean, all they needed to do was to sell the software and this all would have gone away. The FBI even said this is a debt collection case. Why are you coming to us with it when they were speaking uh, to those staffing agencies? And it wasn't until that second grand jury with one FBI witness where they twisted it to um, – uh, their wrong uh, uh, ways that they came back with this indictment. Well, that's where you know they they have the saying that you can that they can indict a ham sandwich, and so you know when you when when you're the guy holding the bread and then the other guy has the ham and and you're presenting it the way you want to present it, and no one else being able to to say anything that's going to uh, dispel any of the lies that you're that you're putting out there, then folks are going to believe it. So that second grand jury did come back with an indictment. Exactly. And that FBI agent um, was Robert Moen. Robert Moen. And, and, and he's, by the way, also the same FBI agent that mysteriously was not available to testify at trial at the time as the, when the Fifth Amendment violation occurred. Wow, I wonder why. <laughs> right. <laughs> but at any rate, you know, when you, when you look at that type of thing and you have enterprising young men, I don't care, black, white, indifferent, enterprising young men that are starting a business who happen to be black using the judges thing. I'm a judge. That's Latina. I'm not a Latina judge. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, these are businessmen that happen to be black, but in this world, people recognize that. Exactly. And that was held against them. I mean, when, when the fact that IRP was a legitimate business, that the IRP six had the goods, when I say had the goods, had the education to do what they were doing. Judge Arguello, and uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch did everything in their power to make it seem as though these gentlemen were not qualified to do what they were doing. Yeah, I want to read this one, this one passage from this article. This gets me. It says the Civil Rights Act of 1964 has been instrumental in helping her and others succeed, opening doors that were previously closed to people of color who were from lower economic economic backgrounds and made it possible for them to attend college as she says. <laughs> Yet she was a barrier to the IRP six. Can you she's talking all this but yet she was a barrier by not allowing expert witness, by by violating their Fifth Amendment's rights. I mean, they were guilt they were guilty before proven innocent. I mean, so what is she talking about? Yeah, and and it's it's one of those things too where uh, you know, Gary, he had, had a presidential appointment to the Air Force Academy. Uh, David Banks, he was an air traffic controller in the Navy, uh, graduated top of his class. Clinton, uh, Clinton Stewart, he was an NCO in the Air Force, had top secret clearance. Uh, you, you got uh, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Apollo, IT professionals, all of them. They And good ones. Oh, <laughs> proven track records. Yes proven track record when they tried to bring up their credentials and the fact that what they were doing was legitimate and that the business was legitimate and how the government impeded their ability to do business 
comments like your character is not on trial here would come up. It's like you're calling me a criminal. <laughs> so and you're trying to make character. it seem... How could that not be my character? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And you're trying to make it seem as though I don't have an education. So, it, I mean, these kind of games that were being played, um, when you read stuff like this, this article that's... Uh, and, and the article is entitled, Civil Rights Act, Stumbling Blocks to Discrimination, Not a Barrier for Federal Judge. When you read this kind of garbage, and you, and you sat and firsthand saw the way she conducted herself... This is not, I mean, no one like this should be getting any kind of accolades. Not at all. Go out to the... Uh, Shouldn't even be on the bench. Not, absolutely. I'm going to ask our listeners, go out to the Gazette Telegraph, uh, the Colorado Springs Gazette uh, newspaper, and, uh, and make a comment out there. You know, read the article, go do your own study on uh, the IRP6, go to freetheirp6.org, make a comment that, you know... Uh, this person is being celebrated on the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act, yet she violated other minorities' uh, civil rights. She's a barrier <laughs> herself. This is uh, time to take a quick break. This is the Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you educational awareness and information about judicial injustice. Our phone number is 347-838-8976, 347 838 Eight nine seven six. Ethel Lopez and Cliff Stewart are on assignment. Joining me this evening uh, are Wayne Wright and Dennis Merritt. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the amicus and the sergeants where to go and rescue people when they're in the I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. Join a just cause in the fight against wrongful conviction, judicial injustice, misconduct, and corruption. Contact us at 855-529-4252 or at www.a-justcause.com. 
Can you imagine spending 20 years of your life in prison for a crime you didn't commit? Neither could I until I got the opportunity to portray Betty Ann Waters in the film Conviction, telling the real story of how she freed her brother Kenny. Sadly, what happened to Kenny happens far more often than you might expect. But together, we can stop it. Please join me in helping the Innocence Project fight injustice. Go to innocenceproject.org to make a donation and get involved. The opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. A Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Dennis Merritt and Wayne Wright. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks again, Sam. Yeah, we are so happy to be here. Ethel Lopez and Cliff Stewart are on assignment, and uh, so I appreciate you guys being here in their stead. Uh, let's go to a couple of other news articles. What did you guys uh, pick out here? Well, I came up with uh, Supreme Court Hits a New Low. Only 30% have confidence in justices, and that's, that's a shame, you know, it, but it's true. Uh, people don't think they're going to get a fair shake when they go to any courtroom these days because uh, it's, it's, it's so biased. It's, it's got all kinds of stuff mixed up in it, money, uh, color, uh, you know, just everything. So I looked at this one. It says 30% of Americans have confidence in the Supreme Court, a record low for the judicial branch. The finding also represents a seven-point drop for the Supreme Court since 2012, and it's continuing to drop. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you that, that, there, that uh, there's a problem. And I think the thing is, when you, when you recognize the injustice that's going on, and, and then, uh, you know, uh, across the board, corporations have so much control right. and, and money uh, controls so much. I mean, you look at the billion-dollar settlements that come out of out of certain uh, industries. Now, their corporate executives don't go to don't go to prison. They don't get uh, indicted. It's just that okay, we will buy our innocence or buy our freedom. Let me put it that way. Exactly. They're not innocent, but they're, right. but they're supposed buying. to be blind. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Oh, no. It's very it's very impartial. It is. Justice can see that check. You right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean this this just shows, I mean, the legislative, the judicial and the executive branch all have lows, I mean, in, in confidence by the American people. Tired of seeing, like you said, uh corporate fat cats being able to buy their way out, tired of seeing crooked judges sit on the bench and nothing happen to them. Every week we see someone uh exonerated 15, 20, 30 years. And nothing's being done. How, how can we have confidence in this judicial system? You know, but the, but people as a whole, though, Sam and and Wayne, you know, you got to speak out. You got to you got to just you got to you got to say show that you're mad, show that you're angry. What what's going on? Because even though you know we read the articles and and the articles are good, I'm not taking nothing away from. Them, but until America gets mad. 
and gets tired of the injustice and, and we fight back for, you know, the laws that are in place. We need to modify laws. We need to change laws. We need to get rid of some laws because no prosecutors and judges should not have the power that they have. And they should not have immunity to do whatever they want that's illegal. Exactly. And, you know, uh, and I'm just looking at the same article, Dennis, where it says that uh, in the, during the Reagan administra- administration, 56% of Americans said that they believed in the high court. And that was between 1985 and 1988. And so during that time period, over half of the Americans really had, had faith in the, well, I say over half. It's, right. You know, it's 50, 56. <laughs> right. But 56 compared to 30. Uh, our, our justice system is on the skids. It is. And when you look at, uh, even as we talk about the IRP6 case, over and over and over again, we have gone to several offices within the federal government, uh, within the DOJ, Civil Rights Division, the, the Criminal Division. We've gone to, you know, all, all uh, the uh, administrative office of the United States courts. And it's almost like everyone points their finger at the next guy and says, Hey, we don't have any jurisdiction over that. You need to go to the next guy. Oh, we don't have any jurisdiction on, over that. We would get letters coming back that basically uh, said that uh, we can't do anything. The letters were not signed. How do you have a system in place with no checks and balances? And you're talking about our, a judicial branch. You're talking about this is humongous. I mean, but there's no check. Imbalances. Federal don't check state. State don't check state. I mean, it's it's a no-win situation. Well, I mean, we have the checks and balances in our Constitution. They're not being used. They're not being used. <laughs> the people that have the power to, to correct these injustices, they won't do it. Well, let's let's bring on a gentleman who who uh, is trying to do something about that, uh, and his name is Howell Waltz. Uh, Mr. Waltz was on the program a little while back. And uh, welcome to the program, Howell. How are you doing? Thank you. How are you this evening? Doing great. Uh, glad to have you with us again and joining us this evening. Uh, Ethel and Cliff are on assignment, so we have Wayne Wright and Dennis Merritt, so uh, they're going to be joining us in, in our conversation. Uh, so, Howell, uh, we know that you have the Ombudsman Now uh, program uh, that you're trying to get, get ramped up, and you got a petition out there under ombudsmannow.com. And uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, first of all, I've got to thank you guys for making that happen. Once that, uh, once I was on your show, your listeners uh, lit up our petition, and I really, really uh, owe you uh, owe you all just a, a, a deep and heartfelt thanks. And I've got to express just one more time before we move any further how meaningful what you're doing is to the people who are not only wrongfully convicted, but even those that may belong in prison. But to have someone out here talking about the corruption within the system that puts people there that shouldn't be and put people that maybe they should be there, but not for as long as they're going, because, as was just said a few minutes ago, uh, the, the system is broken. The prosecutors and judges can violate the laws with immunity and impunity. And to have some voice out there that some guy on his little prison radio or some woman in, in Alderson or, or, or Connecticut, they can listen to someone talking about the corruption within the system. I don't think you have any idea just how meaningful that is to those of us who have been there and those who are there now. 
Well, thank you, Hal. And, you know, we look at it from the standpoint of, uh, and we say this sometimes, that uh, unfortunately, and I think a lot of people are, are naive to how the system really works. And when uh, the IRP-6, when, when Gary, David, Dave, Kendrick, Clint, and Demetrius, after going through what they went through, and they, you know, they established a just cause as a result of their situation early on, way back in 2005. But then after doing a lot of research, they realized that, wait a minute, this thing is bigger than IRP-6. This, this corruption is so broad. And so that, is, that was the, 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 the birth of a just cause and a just cause coast to coast. And, you know, we are trying to work with people like yourself to educate the public on the fact that do not be blind to this, uh, the problem. Do not be naive. Educate yourself. And so we're just trying to do our part. But thanks for the thanks for the compliment. Well, it's excellent work you're doing, and I'm, I'm, I just appreciate being a, a part of that effort with you and and our working together in every way we can. Because with enough of us bringing that same message out, eventually people will hear. But there is no one that is close to the system or has been around it that I know of that will honestly say that things are working even partially. This system is absolutely uh, beyond repair unless we have some outside force that can start holding these prosecutors and judges to the rule of law. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk about the Ombudsman Now program and, and what the goal is here and what we're trying to achieve. The idea came after you know my own experience and 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 working on hundreds of cases for others. So when I was a prison law librarian, and I kept seeing the same judicial misconduct, prosecutorial misconduct, in every case, not not one or two, but every case, I, it started to become a game. I would say, all right, let's see how they broke the law this time, and wow. I never went through a case that I could not find some way. I mean, they always violate the Speedy Trial Act. They hold people in jail, and in 77% of the cases, they never let them out for a day until they have been sentenced. Uh, And these statistics come from the Department of Justice itself. And so I started thinking, well, if there is no power to hold uh, these judges and prosecutors to the rule of law, we've got to create one. And that led to uh, to doing the research on what nations back in my younger years in the 70s and 80s were considered just horribly corrupt, and and the Scandinavian uh, nations were scandalous back those days. And now uh, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Finland, they are ranked the best governed nations on earth. And that's where I started. And I thought, well, what turned these places around? And the only thing in common was that all four had established an office of ombudsman. Um, now 140 countries have followed their, their lead. And Having an independent authority that can not only go after the bad actors of government who refuse to follow the law or think they're above it, but the the power to grant relief to those so violated, those are the two powers of an office or court of ombudsman, and we, we sorely need it in America today. Yes, yes, we definitely need that. And I know that you you, you uh, mentioned as far as your own personal experience, and for those who didn't hear the segment when you were on before, uh, I mean your story is is horrendous, and uh, so share a little bit about what you experienced and why the ombudsman program is so important. 
Well, I, I, I did have the advantage of coming from a legal family. In fact, my, my ex-wife's a judge still here in North Carolina, so I've, I've been around it all my life. And and you, you know, they had seventy days to try you. They got to let you go in ninety if they don't. And and these dates kept ticking by. Laws kept being broken. I was listening to the Lawana Clark segment, and 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 the uh, unfortunately the defense uh, attorney scenario she described is is ubiquitous. There, there. I, I don't know of any defense attorneys uh, uh, with with just very few exceptions that vigorously defend anymore and they let all these things happen and it's almost like they're playing on the team um, so so I, I did know I was being violated wrote the court um, but actually they weren't even after me they wanted me to be a smoking gun witness because I'd been a trust officer and had a former US attorney judge head of the Republican Party they were after these guys and and I had fired myself as their trust officer because we couldn't get source of information funds information so they decided that they would grab me took my wife as a hostage and said we'll hold you until you say what we want you to say but what the the lines they wanted me to parrot were untrue and I said this is America you can't do this and I refused to comply they said well we'll just hold you anyway so I spent 87 months being ridden around the nation, 29 moves between jails and prisons, and I have never to this day been convicted by any court of jurisdiction yet. So that's how sick and off this system is, and everything I believed about my country was challenged through personal experience, and I thought this this place is not what I thought it was, and and uh, I, you know, I decided the only thing I can do, since the, you know, the 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 courts don't work, I'll turn to the court of public opinion and begin writing about it. So I wrote the story, justice denied. The, the forward is is now by a, a federal judge who did take the time to look into my case, unlike my own attorney, and said, yes, this is correct. I mean, the man's never even been convicted by a court of jurisdiction, had no business being in prison, but um, but but was, and then I had to sue him to get out. So it, it's been quite an eye-opening experience, um, but then I started thinking, all right, what can we do about it? And that's where the next book, The Way Back to America, came about. I, I said, here's a 10-step plan to bring us back to the rule of law, but in in the end, I, I focused greatly on jury rights and jury nullification and actually did a juror checklist for the back of the book so the reader will have it if they're ever called to jury duty. Here's Here are your rights and your powers. And then the ombudsman idea, those are the two, the two channels we're working on. Educate people on their rights as a juror, which is the most powerful position in America, more powerful than a president, because you rule not only the facts in the case, but the law itself, and trying to create this office of ombudsman for an independent authority to go after those in government who won't follow the law and grant relief to their victims. Hal, uh, this is Wayne. I've got, I've got a question for you about the um, uh, ombudsman uh, program. How exactly does that work? And, you know, if we were to implement that, what, what do you see as being the changes in the U.S. legal system that would come from it? Well, there are different ways we could do it. If Congress authorized this independent authority, it, it could be done legislatively or it could be done uh, under Article Three, the judicial uh, uh, the judiciary, because they do have the power. Congress can create uh, courts inferior to the Supreme Court and would have to give it the, the uh, independent powers, and I'm suggesting that this be an elected 
position without any uh, prerequisites. The person doesn't have to be a lawyer. I mean, James Madison wasn't a lawyer, and he wrote the greatest legal document. We're supposed to live by the Constitution, and and now they, you know, they might have a staff of, of uh, attorneys under them working these cases, doing the investigating and prosecuting. But I, w- I think it should be someone elected in nonpartisan elections by we the people in each federal district. And that is our choice of a, of a fair arbiter who would stand in the middle and say, no, you, you're not going to get away with, with this. The IRP-6 guys, uh, when the judge broke the law, a call to the ombudsman's office, someone starts investigating the judge, and she might not have been able to do what she did. In fact, I doubt she would have, and she might be under investigation or in jail herself now. So th- that's the power that this office needs to have and you let a few federal judges and, and federal prosecutors and state prosecutors and DAs that make up these cases and just fracture the law at every turn, let a few of them wear orange for a few weeks, and I think that there will be a wholesale change in attitude in America pretty quickly. And, you know, how uh, when you talk about holding the officers of the court accountable for the things that they do, and it was ironic that you, that you mentioned the uh, Luana Clark case, and, I mean, some of the things that just happened there where you had a handwriting expert who did an analysis of, the, uh, of, the, of uh, Luana's handwriting and then her sister's handwriting. Now, Luana was accused of, uh, uh, of perjury, saying that uh, she said that it was not her signature, and it was not her signature. And, <laughs> and you have a and they, they don't care. <laughs> and they absolutely do not care. It, it's just I, I listened to it. I, I was just... It's exactly like another case I worked on for the famous ultra-marathoner Charlie Engel. And even government's own uh, handwriting experts said that, hey, this, this isn't his, these aren't his initials on this loan application. And they had already charged and convicted his loan broker for forging even his own parents' signatures on loan applications. But they don't care. They, they, just, they just do whatever they want. And then... There is no way to undo the injustices, which is, is the third rail of our problem here in the country, because you're not going to win a 2255 or a habeas corpus motion. They, you know, they pride themselves on never granting relief. So uh, we need that independent authority. And, and, and so uh, when you mentioned that, you know, we thought, well, let's dig in our library. We found a little clip of, uh, from, our, from the show that you're talking about uh, where Judith Housley, the uh, handwriting expert, she never even knew what happened in the case, although she provided all this evidence that, that the judge would not consider, which would have easily uh, kept uh, Luana from going to prison. So we pulled that out, and so we're going to play that clip. We're going to go to a quick break, and then we're going to come back. This is okay. Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Let's play that clip. And with this particular case, I never did hear what happened. The document, my letter of opinion was sent to Mr. Kornfeld, and I never heard anything else until I was contacted by LaWanda a few days ago. I did not know she even went to jail. But what I would like to know is why wasn't my opinion introduced into court? Why wasn't I called as a witness? Because I would have cleared that situation up immediately. And 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 it, and rightfully so. I, I think that is a very valid concern. Absolutely. I mean, you are a board certified, oh. thirty-five year experience uh, handwriting expert, document uh, examiner. 
and your opinion was not considered. And, you know, as I was reviewing some of this, you know, it, it looks like that uh, Mr. Kornfeld received your letter of opinion, what was it, three weeks? Three weeks. Three weeks prior to sentencing. Is that correct? Yeah, three weeks prior to sentencing, he got your analysis back, which basically, you know, like you said, stated this was not Lawana's handwriting. This was her sister, Yolanda. And as Lawana stated, she gave Yolanda permission to sign on her account. Corn failed, and this is probably going to make you angry, did not turn in your findings. He had three weeks before Lawana was sentenced where he still could have uh, turned that in as exculpatory evidence and could have said, hey, judge, I've got new evidence. This is from a, a, a court-certified um, you know, document handwriting expert. This needs to be brought in. He did, he did not, and hence Lawanda ended up going to prison for six months. Yeah, and he didn't turn it in because the whole – the whole goal was to to try to get the guys to flip for them. You are listening to AJ We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Uh, my boyfriend dumped me. I still have to finish my research project and my parents' divorce is tearing me apart. Does this sound like you? I just feel hopeless. Someone is always there to help. Don't give up. When you feel like you don't belong, talk about it. Never keep things locked inside. If you need help, please call the suicide hotline number at 1-800-273-8255. Your life matters. Don't give up. Today, innocent Americans are standing trial for crimes they didn't commit. Today, innocent Americans are writing for help from a prison cell. Today, hundreds of Americans have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. Researchers believe that at least 40,000 innocent Americans still sit behind bars. For them, the answers do not come easy. A just cause seeks true balance and accountability in the judicial process, ensuring that innocent men and women are not convicted and sentenced to prison for trivial, obscure acts that are otherwise not seen as crimes. For more information on how a just cause may help you or how you can get involved to stop over-criminalization of innocent Americans, visit www.a-justcause.com or call 855-529-4252. That's 855-529-4252.
A Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Wayne Wright and Dennis Merritt. Our phone number this evening, 347-838-8976. Again, 347-838-8976. Uh, give us a call. Join in on the conversation. We have as our guest right now uh, Mr. Howell Woltz, and uh, Howell is heading up an initiative to uh, uh, get ombudsman's programs uh, established across the country to hold uh, our uh, judicial uh, uh, officers of the court accountable. And, uh, you know, it's an excellent program. You can get more information at ombudsmannow.com. Again, ombudsmannow.com. And, and how, you know, we pulled that clip uh, uh, from the Lawana Clark program. When you mentioned it, we just we went into our libraries and pulled that out. And And, I mean, I think that's a excellent example of something where you got the uh the prosecutor uh matthew kirsch who uh obviously played a role you got judge christine arguello and then the most egregious in this situation is the defense attorney i mean mr cornfell did not even push to have the evidence submitted during the um during the time uh, prior to, as it came out in the clip there, three weeks prior to sentencing, this information was available and not uh, considered as far as uh, that would have supported uh, Luana's uh, innocence. Would you? Well, and that should have definitely been in a sentencing motion or a Rule 60B motion of the court for the, you know that, that an injustice was about to be done. I mean, there are a number of ways that that could have and should have been introduced uh, before uh, before Luana was sentenced. So that's that's horrifying and common and you know even worse than that and we've talked about it on previous programs that uh during the uh, sentencing hearing uh the uh cornfell showed up at trial and uh his name is rick cornfell and and uh he showed up and and was in the courtroom with the prosecutors and kind of you know glanced over at at, at lamana and the family kind of like yeah, I'm sitting over here with the prosecutor. Now, weeks prior, he was in the courtroom defending her, supposedly defending her. I mean, that's uh, obviously that that was not his objective. That is not what he was doing. But uh, classic case uh, that would fit right into what you're uh, trying to do with the ombudsman program. So, uh, how, where, and I, I jotted down this little term here. I, I'm calling it the judicial GPS system. So, you know. <laughs> Where did our judicial GPS system get off, uh, off? You know, where did our judicial system take a wrong turn and head it down the wrong road, and how do you think we're going to get it back on track? I think the short answer is 1870 was the beginning date. Um, the creation of the Department of Justice, which uh, I can't find in my Constitution that any such department um, was supposed to exist, it um, was created as an executive department, which I can't find in Article Two, the presidential powers that the executive branch is to have such an organization as a as a, a national police and interrogation and prosecution force, if it were imagined to be necessary with as few federal laws as were allowed by the Constitution, it should have been under the judiciary. So that was the the beginning of the slippery slope. It has now become nothing but a, an absolute blunt political tool 
There was a study by professors Donald Shields and John Cragen that found that between 2001 and 2007, the DOJ opened investigations in the seven times more Democratic public officials than Republican. The professors concluded that the odds of this discrepancy being a random occurrence were one in 10,000. The current administration now has just flipped the terms. Now it's seven to one Republicans and conservative organizations that are being investigated, prosecuted, denied access. So it's a blunt political tool. Second problem, every judge that they seem to now confirm, with very, very few exceptions, was a prosecutor who has not been held to rule of law, has been allowed to do these horrible things that you talk about every week and get away with it. Even when they're caught, nothing happens to them. So you've got a guy that used to break the law for a living. He now puts on a black robe, and he's supposed to change? I, I don't I don't think so. And I would. So I think we've got those two main issues, that, that that's where our judiciary, and then the states have just copied the federal mistakes. And we are now in a, a real miasma. Well, let me just make a, a comment about how far we've gone the wrong way. In, in a 2009 Supreme Court case, Justice Scalia said this court has never held that the Constitution forbids the execution of a convic- convicted defendant who has had a full and fair trial but is later able to convince a habeas corpus court that he is actually innocent. So in a, in, in, to sum it up, he says there's nothing wrong with executing an innocent person, and this is from the highest court in land. <laughs> well, we in do. the same year, uh, Justice Roberts uh, wrote the opinion in uh, District Attorney's Office versus Osborne saying that he can't uh, find anywhere that a defendant has the right to overturn even if he proves actual innocence. So what the hell are these courts for? (laughs) I mean, I'm lost here somewhere, or or somebody's lost, but uh, we the people are losing out. And when, when, when these guys can make such obtuse statements, and I haven't even heard anybody say anything about it until you just did. The public, you know, mouthpieces are are silent on it, and it's it's going to take us under if we don't address it soon. Hey, Hal, this is Dennis. Uh, I just got a question for you. I mean, first of all, I want to thank you for what you're doing because I think it's very commendable, and I truly hope this uh, bondsman uh, program uh, takes takes wings and and fly. But my question is, how close are we to making this happen and to make, making it a part of our judicial system? How, how close are we, are we to making that happen? We're, unfortunately, we're just at the starting gate. I would be misleading your listeners if I said anything else. That's why we need all the signatures and help we can get. What we're hoping to, to do with it, and again, you know, in, in a couple of weeks ago I spoke to the the um, NAACP and, a, and a, a group of a black ministers group here in North Carolina, and I spoke to the Tea Party activist in Virginia. You know, within days, I get the same reaction to both ends of the spectrum politically. This is a great idea, so we're getting that momentum, but we've got to get some very public figures backing it, which is what I'm working on right now. Uh, I've, I've got a very famous, probably uh, the most famous. Uh, singer on the the countryside that's reviewing the possibility of starting to open his shows with trying to get people to turn on their phones and sign up 
for it, and then we've got a very respected journalist that uh, on on the other end of the spectrum that uh, that is also looking at the possibility of coming out and endorsing the idea and helping us promote it. So that's that's how we're going to have to do it, and then we make it a litmus test on left and right to, to say, okay, if you will say that you are going to back this office of ombudsman idea, we're going to elect you. If you don't, then you need to stay at home. So yeah. that's that's the end game. And you know how uh, I'm looking at, uh, and and I'm speaking to this because of the fact that we've gone down this road uh, at a just cause. And what I'm talking about is uh, the Department of Justice Office of Professional Responsibility. Now, you know, the Office of Professional Responsibility was established in the Department of Justice uh, after the Watergate scandal, and it was supposedly set up uh, to investigate allegations of DOJ attorneys uh, who are not practicing law, you know, consistent with the laws and rules of the land. And uh, unfortunately... And, and you can read article after article after article that say that uh, the Office of Professional Responsibility uh, does absolutely nothing of the sort. And we can speak firsthand to that as well to say that uh, we have filed letters of complaint with the uh, OPR, and uh, they spend more of their time defending the, uh, the attorneys that allegations are being raised against as opposed to investigating them. So how can we... let me guess? And the letters come back without a signature on them, and and then or the people who have been uh, brought up on the charges, their own departments answer. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a letter to OPR do anything, but but uh, exactly what you're talking about. It's an absolute waste of time. It's like the bar associations. Uh, you complain about an attorney. Well, you're complaining to their peers there, and they are designed now to. Protect protect the attorneys from the public rather than the public from bad attorneys and OPR is the same thing it's just it's a waste an absolute waste of dollars and money they're defending the bad guys and and it may be too early in the process to even go down this road but you know we, i i believe that the ombudsman program is going to come to fruition but how can we prevent the ombudsman program turning into the office of professional responsibility well, that is why I feel like it's very important that we write the legislation carefully and that we make sure it is a nonpartisan, locally elected office without prerequisite. Don't even want them to have to be a lawyer or anything like that. It needs to be a fair-minded person that knows right from wrong, and that can be anyone who's respected by the community, a locally elected in the district each federal district, uh, for example, here in North Carolina, we have three of them. We would have three offices of, an, of ombudsmen staffed with attorneys and investigators, and that person that was elected would oversee the office and decide which public officials are prosecuted. So it's very, very important that we keep it from being politicized and, and make it nonpartisan, because this, again, is not about right or left. It's about right and wrong, and that is a, personally a fear that it would be politicized at some point, and that is a, a, a real danger point. Then we've just got another DOJ. We've got DOJ light in the, at the district level, and we don't need politicized prosecutions. So, Howell, we have a, a caller. Uh, uh, let's bring the caller on. Uh, caller, are you there? Yes, if you're looking for me, I'm here. I'm Barbara Johnson. Hi, uh, Ms. Johnson. How are you doing? Welcome to the program. What's your question or comment? 
Thank you. Um, for years, for uh, almost two decades, I was advocating to get rid of judicial immunity. Some of the problems we're having uh, that you put on your program today is really because you can't go after the judges. And the decisions we see are wrong. The ones you just quoted from the Supreme, from the Supreme Court are just ridiculous. We've got to be able to go after the judges. They have no accountability. And so it starts right from the trial courts. In Massachusetts, where I used to practice, we don't, we don't have elected judges, we have appointed judges. And they're, they're in there till they're 70. It used to be for life, but now because of thinking that it was Alzheimer's or dementia, they lowered it to 70. And you can't get rid of them. You cannot get rid of them. And uh, judicial immunity is not constitutional, at least in Massachusetts it isn't, and it's not in the, in the U.S. Constitution. It's simply judge-made law. 1880, I think, was the, was the case that came down on it. And it said that judges could be malicious, they could be corrupt, but because we had to reserve, save their independence, they couldn't be um, sued for that, so that they could, they could be malicious and corrupt over and over again. I mean, that is absurd. And, exactly. um, and, and you know, Ms. Johnson, I want to thank you for, for that call. Uh, one of the things that you brought up was about uh, basically limiting the amount of time that a judge can sit on the bench. And so uh, how do you see... Uh, where, I mean, could there be an arm or a uh, provision within the ombudsman program to even, you know, the ombudsman organization reviewing a judge's tenure? Yes, I believe there there would be, and Mrs. Johnson is absolutely right. Uh, that is a key problem, and and again, that was reinforced in Supreme Court ruling uh, Pearson versus Ray back in '67, and a string of decisions. And then they added immunity for the prosecutors as well. And again, it's violative of the Fourteenth Amendment Equal Protection Clause. They there, there is no one that should be above the law. But the, Congress is actually supposed to be taking care of this with impeachment. But even back in the 1820s, Thomas Jefferson said, but impeachment is nothing but a scarecrow. You know, Congress doesn't do its job. So what I think would be a reasonable approach, again, the, the age limit, it's written in the Constitution, it's lifetime until it's bad behavior. But if we had an ombudsman who was watching these characters and you get three or four uh, complaints about like Judge Arguello or people like that who are, who are just not respecting or following the law, then the ombudsman starts beginning his investigation and he could or he or she could then turn in a request to Congress. Hey, this person needs to go. They need to be impeached. And if Congress then doesn't follow the rules, then this person would have the authority to open up an investigation and, and, and uh, charge them criminally under 18 U.S.C. 241, 242, deprivation of constitutional rights under color of law. I mean, we've got the statutes on the books. They just don't use them. So um, I, I think the tools are there 
and this is uh, it, this could be constitutionally done under either Article Three Judiciary, or it could be legislatively done as an independent authority elected by we the people. So it can it can happen. Well, you know you have a just cause and a just cause coast to coast in your corner. We're going to continue to push for ombudsman now. So we're going to. I'm not sure that's fair with all of that help. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are too good. (laughs) Uh, Hey, but we're we're workers together in this, man. So uh, we're asking our listeners to go out to ombudsmannow.com, ombudsmannow.com. And uh, there will be a link on our website at AJC.com, AJCRadio.com. Uh, it's always a pleasure, Howell, to have you on. And uh, I know we got some other work that we're doing together behind the scenes, but it's always a pleasure to have you on the air with us. So thanks again for taking time out of your schedule this evening and uh, joining us. Anytime. And I would like to offer any of your listeners uh, a copy of The Way Back to America, my new book with the juror's guide in the back and would, uh, would, would be happy to send anyone who is going to sit on a jury a copy for free if they can just get me the address through a just cause. Hey, you cannot beat that offer. Wow. <laughs> so the listeners, you got to get Howell's new book, Way Back to America. Send us an email at contact at a-justcause.com, contact at a-justcause.com. Put in offer Howell, just say offer Howell, or even just say Way Back to America. But you got to give us your contact information so we can get that out to you, uh, so we can get it over to Howell, actually, so he can get that out to you. So you, you definitely can't beat that offer. And then we'll, we'll throw in a T-shirt. We'll throw in a, a, a free the IRP6 uh, T-shirt uh, for folks as well because we got to get the word out on that. And uh, so uh, we have limited offerings on that one. <laughs> but we will put it in there as well. All right, Howell. Well, appreciate. Wayne, Dennis, Sam, thank you so much for, for what you're doing and your time tonight. I look forward to working with you on other projects going forward. Pleasure speaking with you. Okay. Take care. The, thanks, Al. Have a good evening. All right. On the other side good of the break, night. we're going to come back, and we're going to be talking with Alex Dorbay. Again, on the other side of the break, that's going to be Alex Dorbay, Dorbay with the Fully Informed Jury Association. Man, you can't beat that offer. Get a free book. All you got to do is just send an email. <laughs> and a T-shirt. Hey, hey, like I said, a limited offer on a T-shirt. But let me, let me put, I'm going to put a number to that one. I'm going to put a number to that one. Yeah. Uh, we'll give five people a T-shirt. <laughs> All right. Because, you, you know, the more right. we get that out there as well, oh. the more people will uh, be made aware of the IRP6 situation. Exactly. They'll go to the website and so forth. So the first five people that, uh, that sent us an email on that, I'm going to ask the research team to kind of check the website, and we'll see what's going on there. But we'll be back on the other side of the break. This is the Just Cause Coast to Coast, education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman along with Wayne Wright and Dennis Merritt. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You are listening to The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trial and inmates serving time after sentencing. 
So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners but no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. The opinions and views expressed by guests and callers on A Just Cause Coast to Coast do not necessarily reflect those of A Just Cause or A Just Cause Coast to Coast. Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Wayne Wright and Dennis Merritt joining me, Sam Thurman, Ethel Lopez, and Cliff Stewart are on assignment. Our phone number this evening, 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. It's always good to talk to Hal and, uh, and just, you know, the work that he's doing is just awesome and, you know, he's supporting in a lot of ways and so... We appreciate that. Joining us now, we're going to bring on Alex Dorbey. And Alex is the area coordinator for Fully Informed Jury Association uh, in Colorado and uh, in Colorado Springs. Welcome to the program, Alex. How are you doing this evening? Oh, hello. I'm doing fine. I look forward to talking with you about uh, our jury rights because they're really important. And most Americans have no idea that they even have rights when they sit on a jury. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the things, uh, you know, we've had Alex on the program before, and uh, we've talked about some of the atrocities that occurred during the IRP-6 case and how uh, the jury was there. They saw certain things that shouldn't have been allowed to, to occur, and then Judge Arguello took them into the jury room and, uh, and said something to them that, uh, 
that got them uneasy and made them afraid to even talk about the case after the fact. But one of the things, uh, Alex, that the Fully Informed Jury Association stresses is that, uh, you know, everyone has a, has a right to, to, to veto or, or nullify, you know, what occurs in that jury room. And so what, what's that all about? Oh, that, that's a very important right that we have. And um, I'm a volunteer for the Fully, Fully Informed Jury Association. They don't pay me. But I've written a few articles uh, on it uh, that have appeared in the Gazette, the Common Sense News, and the Libertarian Enterprise. And I've got another article coming out in the Gazette uh, this week or next about uh, how the Constitution is being violated, which is one of our major problems. So let me uh, begin by asking everyone, everyone a question. When judges give instructions to jurors, must the jurors obey them? Well, I, I, I have... I have a cheat sheet. Let's, I'm, I'm going to defer to uh, I'm going to defer to Wayne and Dennis on that. What do you guys think? I, I would say as long as the questions are in accordance with the law. I mean, if it's if it's breaking the law, then I don't think jurors have to respond or answer those questions. That's that's what I'm going to say. Okay, that that is correct. And uh, unfortunately, judges, most judges in this country, especially federal judges, break the law all the time. Uh, and it's the duty of jurors to bring justice to the courtroom and to prevent government oppression, even if that entails ignoring what the judge tells them. Uh, jury rights are rights which all jurors have and include the right to find the verdict according to their conscience, the right to ignore the judge's instructions, the right to uphold the U.S. Constitution, the right to uh, nullify and or ignore bad or unconstitutional laws. That's called jury nullification, and it's also known as jury veto power. And veto power is nothing new. Most of us know that the president uh, has it and state governors have it. And even DAs have veto power over what cases they choose to prosecute. But few Americans know that jurors have that as well. And it's the duty of the jury to act as the conscience of the community and bring justice to the courtroom. A good way to look at it is that just, uh, judges uphold the law, but jurors uphold justice. And those are two very uh, different things at times. Alex, you know what I think, though? I think also that, you know, the jurors don't know the law. So exactly. a lot of times, you know, a lot of times what we get is we get a judge telling uh, jurors what they can and cannot do, and they have to take that judge at face value, assuming that that judge is uh, not corrupt, as in most cases, well, not most cases, but in a lot of cases they are. Yeah, well, judges are not only corrupt, they're also ignorant. You know, most of them don't realize that uh, this is a traditional American right uh, which has existed since the foundation of our country. Uh, back when America was founded, it was common to have jurors um, judge the law. In other words, they could decide if the law was right, if it was constitutional, and if it was being applied correctly. And if it wasn't in any of those cases, they would just find the defendant not guilty, which is the way it's supposed to work. And, and today, though, in most states, you can't do that, and, and the federal government won't let you do it. Uh, there are only four states where you actually have a jury nullification built into the Constitution. That's Maryland, Indiana, Oregon, and Georgia. So people are, are free there to use their uh, jury nullification and jury veto power, but not here in Colorado, unfortunately. Wow. I think it has to do with power. I mean, if you give jurors... If you inform jurors that they have the right to set a right wrong, you take that out of the hands of a judge, and I believe the uh, judges in the system are afraid of that power. 
oh, they're terrified of the power. They, they love their own power. And the idea of actually empowering the jury to bring justice to the accused is something that really frightens them. But that's the way it's supposed to be. In fact, this right is actually protected under the Ninth Amendment. And uh, Justice William Goodloe, uh, a former Washington State Supreme Court Justice, said the American Revolution was fought in part to preserve the right of jury nullification. And uh, Justice Samuel Chase was actually impeached a few centuries ago by the House of Representatives for open contempt of the rights of juries because he wouldn't allow jury nullification uh, in a particular trial he was in. He was impeached over that because it was so important that people that jurors had the right to judge the law. And, you know, by that standard, just about every federal judge and most state judges should be impeached and removed from office today because they're not honoring it anymore. You know, they, they intimidate jurors into obeying them uh, by, through lies and deception, and, and it's a disgusting uh, power that they have over us right now, but we've got to stop obeying them and just start doing what's right. I think, Alex, you know, when you use the term uh, intimidate, I, I think that that's a key, a, oh, a that's key point. Oh, very key. Because, as you stated, Dennis, uh, jurors and, and most folks are not going to know the law. They don't know what their rights are. So they're going according to what the prosecutor is telling them. They're going according to what the defense attorney is telling them. And the utmost authority in their eyes in that courtroom is the judge. And the judge is going to, in so many uh, cases, in, in no uncertain terms, let you know this is my courtroom. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, that's one of the things in the IRP6 case where when Judge Arguello uh, would not allow, uh, I mean, she held the IRP6 to a higher standard than trained attorneys. And so, you know, we've heard things like uh, where certain jurors, uh, after the fact, you know, I think there were a couple of them who did talk, and, and they said that they were waiting on the IRP-6 to present their evidence and present a case. That's because the way the judge uh, conducted the courtroom, she was not a referee. And, I, and Alex, you guys put out a book, uh, a booklet, a pamphlet, uh, the Citizen's Rule Book. And in the Citizen's Rule Book put out by the Fully Informed Jury Association, uh, there is on page 10, it says that in a jury trial, the, the real judges are the jurors. Surprisingly, judges are actually just referees bound, um, bound by the Constitution. Now, that would be great if it, if it worked if that, that was way. That's true. Yeah, it would be right. and, 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 you know, if Cliff were here, he would be talking about, you know, the, ju the, the judge is supposed to be a, a referee. And when you have a, a referee that's fair, the outcome is fair. But you have a dirty referee in a game. Uh, he can sway it towards the other team. The referee that's shaving the points. Exactly. And if I'm oh, a that, that is so true. That, that is I'm very a true. A judge can actually destroy anyone in court that they want to. They can stack the jury, and they always do. Uh, the judge can keep you from talking about the Constitution. It, it can, the judge can uh, forbid you from bringing up Supreme Court decisions. Uh, it can stop you from bringing in expert witnesses and even talking about jury nullification. A judge can just guarantee your conviction if he wants to, and no judge has a right to that much power. Like you said, they're just supposed to be referees. They're not supposed to decide your fate. That is the, uh, the role of the jury, not the judge. Exactly. Absolutely. Hey, uh, Alex, hold that thought. Uh, we have to take another quick break. We're going to go and do our uh, uh, profile of the wrongly convicted. And so uh, we're going to take a quick break and do that. Our, our profile of the rolling convicted tonight is uh, on Alex, on, I'm sorry, 
Lawrence Adams. And, uh, and uh, so don't go anywhere. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. We'll be right back. At the inception of A Just Cause Coast to Coast, the host and crew decided to devote a segment of each show to an exoneree moment. The purpose of the exoneree moment was to outline the case and highlight the circumstances that led to a wrongful conviction. AJC Radio also wanted to highlight the successes and failures of the justice system, understanding why the system failed and what ultimately turned the tide and cleared their name. We wanted to hear the personal first-hand accounts. They were appalling, emotional, astounding, and overwhelming. Lives devastated by the system. After many interviews, we discovered that many of the stories we outlined didn't quite fit the term exoneree or exonerated. Most of the people who shared their stories were released from the building, but not from the system. They struggled to get their records expunged and clear their names, find suitable employment and housing, obtain restitution from the state, and reconnect with their families and friends. And it hardly fit the definition of exonerated, which means to free from guilt of blame, to clear from a charge of guilt or fault, to exculpate. Release conveys to free from confinement, bondage, obligation, or pain, to free from anything that restrains. The spirit of the exoneree moment lives on to tell the personal stories of those whose lives have been devastated by the justice system, but we've renamed the segment to a profile of the wrongly convicted. These are the stories of lives taken and returned, but must be rebuilt, adapted, reestablished, and transformed. The profile of a wrongly convicted. Today's profile features Lawrence Adams. In 1972, a transit worker was robbed and bludgeoned to death by two men in a Boston, Massachusetts subway. A month after the crime, Harry Ambers and Lawrence Adams were arrested by police. Three witnesses who were all members of the same family testified that Lawrence Adams had admitted to the crime while at their home. In 1974, Adams, who was African-American, was convicted of first-degree murder by an all-white, all-male jury despite testimony from Adams' entire family that he was at home with them when the crime was committed. Adam was 19 years old at the time he was sentenced to death. In 1975, his sentence was commuted to life in prison after the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court declared the state's death penalty statute unconstitutional. Harry Ambers was also convicted and received the same sentence. In 1993, a court ruling required access to state records that had been previously unavailable. Evidence of gross police and prosecutorial misconduct and an ineffective legal defense were found. The state's star witness, Wyatt Moore, and his sister, Susie, were both facing criminal charges when they testified against Adams, and in both cases, charges were dropped or reduced in exchange for their testimony. In 2004, a Massachusetts Superior Court judge ordered a new trial for Adams based on his newly uncovered evidence. 30 years after his conviction, 
Adam was released from prison on bail in May of 2004, and charges against him were formally dismissed on June 7, 2004. This has been a profile of the wrongly convicted. Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, along with Wayne Wright and Dennis Merritt. Ethel Lopez and Cliff Stewart are on assignment. Welcome to the program, our listeners. Our phone number is 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. Joining us on the phone uh, is Alex Dorbe. Alex is an area coordinator for the Fully Informed Jury Association, and we're talking about uh, jury rights and, and jury nullification. Uh, welcome again, Alex. Uh, one of the things that you brought up uh, just before the break, and you were saying how uh, judges can sway uh, what happens in the courtroom, and, uh, and you brought up a sore subject uh, <laughs> related to the IRP-6, and that is when you said, ju- yeah, judges can dismiss uh, expert witnesses. And so forth. And, and, you know, we touched on that a little bit earlier during the program, and that, in fact, did happen during the IRP-6 case. And, and here you have Andrew Alberelli, the principal executive officer of the Remy Corporation out of Denver, Colorado, who was in a position to testify as an ex- expert witness, was on the stand and summarily dismissed by Judge Arguello. Now, this man has, oh, gosh, all kinds of credentials. I mean, what, what, what? Uh, give us a little bit of background on on uh, Andrew uh, Wayne. All right, here's a expert, um, uh, an excerpt from his letter to, uh, I believe it's to John Walsh. It says, I have uh, been in the staffing business for 15 years now, 12 of uh, which as the Remy Corp's uh, principal executive officer. I have been the president of the Staffing Industry Users Group from 2002 to 2007, along with being the co-president of the Oracle Mountain States Users Group from two, 2003 to 2008. I have been a finalist for the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year for 2003 and 2004 and have been honorably discharged from the United States military. I have been a member of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, InfraGuard, InfraGuard, yeah. InfraGuard for almost nine years and have assisted the FBI with uh, investigations of false network of candidates interviewing bait and switch with staffing firms. So you have this guy, uh, this gentleman, um, Andrew Alberelli, and Andrew is, I mean, he has the goods, and he was was on the stand. And you have uh, uh, Judge Christine Arguello dismisses him all because... Uh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch is saying, well, we weren't notified. Well, I think this letter is, is saying, you know, uh, that he is an expert witness and he's going to be uh, in this trial. And this was a full, this was in July of 2011. The trial happened in October uh, 2011. So, you know, Alex, when you have something like this, and, and so I had, to, I had to pause there for a moment because of the fact when you brought up the thing about a judge swaying a trial, because of, uh, you know, just not letting expert witnesses testify. That's exactly what happened in the IRP-6 case. And so, you know, 
what should have what should a jury have done in that situation? Should they have questioned it? I mean, if you were on a jury, Alex, and you saw something like that happen, then you go into the jury room. Would you question the fact that, wait a minute, what about that gentleman that they had on the stand who was getting ready to testify? They didn't let him testify. How would you handle that? Oh, that would be a big red flag for me. That, that would show me that the uh, judge was trying to sway the case, and I'd probably uh, vote not guilty based on that alone, because judges today ha- uh, can just destroy you in court. And that's why uh, jury nullification is so important. And in fact, one thing that, that's really scary is uh, something called overcriminalization. And Pat Robinson did a, a story about this on CBN called Incarceration Nation. And he said that by far, we lead the world in putting people in prison. And the incarceration rate in the United States is the highest in the world. While Americans only have about 5% of the world's population, we have 23% of the world's prisoners. And that is ludicrous. We're supposed to be the land of the free, not the land of the prisoners. So the government has made so many laws uh, that anyone can be guilty of just about anything. In fact, Pat Robertson said there were 300,000 to 400,000 rules that could be considered federal offenses, and any one of us could have violated one of them. And if the government decides to get us, you know, they can look through our telephone records. The NSA is collecting our telephone records. They can look at, uh, at our emails. They, they already spy on those. They know what uh, magazines we get. They, they know all sorts of things about us. And if they want to destroy you, it's pretty easy for them to do it. And uh, we're living in a time when justice can be just manipulated and trashed by the federal government anytime it wants. And that's a very scary thing. And we need uh, people, Americans, to wake up and find out the powers are at when they sit on a jury, because that's where the rubber meets the road. You know, the government can uh, prosecute us all they want, but if the jurors know their rights and they know that the government's violating the rights of the uh, accused, the juror can set them free. So the jurors have more power than the government. They just have to wake up and learn that they have that power. And unfortunately, the government lies about it, and the national media pretty much won't tell anybody about it. It's a well-kept secret that jurors have rights and that they're supposed to protect the people on trial from the government. And I agree with you, Alex, 100%. And my thing is that, you know, I'm looking at your, your Bill of Rights, the jury handbook, uh, that's something that should be given out uh, pre- I mean, be prior to the trial, prior to, prior to the uh, court proceeding. Something like that, get it out there. It'll so never that, so happen. I, I understand <laughs> that, but it would be nice, you know, because it's all about education. If we educate the people and the people understand their rights when they become a juror, they could take the appropriate actions. But until there's education, until there's more people doing what you're doing, uh, we're going to continue to have juries uh, uh, think that they have to make a call when they don't. Well, I'd like to also mention that Christians are especially called to uh, bring justice to their nation and, and to the, the, the people. Uh, in fact, in Amos 5, it says, You are doomed, you that twist justice and cheat the people out of their rights. You people hate anyone who challenges injustice and speaks the whole truth in court. You have oppressed the poor and robbed them of their grain. You persecute good people, take bribes, and prevent the poor from getting justice in the courts. Hate what is evil, love what is right, and see that justice prevails in the courts. That is what God tells us to do. And, and that is what God's Christians, his people, should be doing. Unfortunately, most Christians are just as ignorant as the world when it, when it comes to bringing justice back and upholding jury rights. Well, and you know, um, 
one thing you mentioned also, Alex, as far as that, you know, if jurors knew their rights, the impact that they could make. Let, let's say if, if you as a juror uh, strongly believed in your convictions uh, as far as, you know, not necessarily rule of law, but just, you know, the, your conscience and you're voting your conscience, can you as one individual uh, cause a, uh, I guess the term would be hung jury, I, I mean, uh, in, in, a federal, in a federal case, uh, can one person uh, execute or, or cause a, a, a person to go free? Yes, they, they certainly can. And uh, we need brave people who will stand up and do exactly that. Because there are so few people who understand uh, what it is jurors are supposed to do that there's usually not more than one on a jury. <laughs> so you may be the only one there who understands jury rights. So yes, you can be the holdout, the one who says, the one who refuses to convict, and uh, you'll get a hung jury and they'll, they'll be forced to get a new trial. But also, if you're brave, you can tell the rest of your jurors about jury rights, about the Constitution, about how the government's violating the rights of the, the uh, accused. And if you could get them to vote with you, then you can actually find the defendant not guilty. So I guess it's all a matter of how brave you are in court. You know, Do you want to be the lone holdout, or do you want to convince your fellow jurors? Well, you know, I know back in the fall of 2013, uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, uproar in the Washington, D.C. area because the Fully Informed Jury Association launched a, uh, a ca- uh, an ad campaign right there at the train station uh, near uh, the courthouses. And, and, uh, and, and so, you know, that, that made a lot of people nervous. Uh, and, and have you heard anything as far as follow-ups uh, to anything like that? Well, uh, judges will try to intimidate uh, people into not handing out flyers outside the courthouse. In fact, it's all right. Uh, The Supreme Court ruled that you can hand out flyers on uh, the sidewalk outside a courthouse. In fact, I was doing that once with some friends a few years ago, and it, it so upset the judge that he dismissed the entire jury pool just sent everybody home because he didn't want them to know their rights. This is common in Colorado. You know, judges do not want jurors to understand their rights. So it's an uphill battle all the way. And, Alex, I was looking at an article uh, from 2011. Uh, Julian Hinklin in uh, Manhattan, he was passing out uh, jury rights pamphlets uh, on the courthouse steps. Uh, He was indicted for jury tampering. Well, you know, we're living in a time where... We've got corrupt judges and and corrupt uh, federal government officials, and, you know, sometimes they'll they'll break the law just to convict you, just to intimidate people, you know, because if they can make an example out of one person, then, you know, it scares a whole lot of others. And, and, you know, we just have to stand up and refuse to be intimidated. I mean, yes, in this nation, you can be hurt. The government has so much power, it can do a lot to hurt us. But if we're not going to stand up for justice, then... You know, our nation's dead, essentially. I mean, it's just going to get worse and worse until we're, we're a total totalitarian nation, just like Nazi Germany used to be. Now, and Alex, you know, we pulled an article earlier tonight, uh, and it specifically is talking about jury nullification, and it uh, addresses uh, a young lady who was tried, convicted, and incarcerated, uh, and she was part of the, um, the Occupy Wall Street group. And, uh, and after the conviction, the, the judge 
could have actually sentenced this young lady to seven years incarceration. And I believe the charges were assault on a, on a uh, peace officer when, in, in, in essence, uh, the, quote, peace officer <laughs> groped the girl and, and she struck him. And, and so, uh, you know, so according to the law, did she hit a, a, a police officer? Well, what yep, it, she did. Well, what it was, like you said, he, he grabbed her chest, and out of a reflex, she elbowed him. She didn't slap him. She didn't punch him. She elbowed him. I mean, come on. That's just a natural reaction for a woman if you grab her. Yeah. But the, the, the sad part here is the jury convicted her. And yeah. then after the fact, after the fact, uh, they found uh, they found out that the judge could have actually sent her away for for seven years. Now I think the judge only sentenced her to ninety days, uh, which she shouldn't have been sentenced at all. But after the fact, then the jurors are going you know going to the judge and trying to say you know uh, uh, petitioning the judge to be lenient and don't don't sentence her and all this kind of stuff. So uh, why do you think Alex that a jury would after the fact go to a judge? Uh, and say, uh, well, we didn't realize that the sentencing was going to be as harsh as it is, so don't do that because if, and one of the jurors even said that uh, he would have voted the other way if he had known uh, right. that. Because, so, you know, is that part of the judge educating the jury ahead of time? Well, you've just, you, you just brought up a, a very important point, and that is that the ju- when you're in the courtroom today, the judge will not tell you the possible sentence. It, they like to keep jurors in the dark, and yet it's very important for jurors to know the possible sentence so that they can vote correctly. Uh, so it, it's wrong for judges to not tell us that, but that is the way it is in just about every courtroom in the nation. So, uh, you know, we're living under a, a very nasty form of tyranny. It's a serious oppression, and, and people just need to learn their rights and, sta- and get some backbone and stand up and start fighting for justice because we are losing this nation. And if people don't stand up, it's over. Uh, I don't think we have that much more time left before freedom is completely dead. And, and jurors have to understand also that, you know, that one juror that, that disagrees, and, and if I truly believe that uh, what the, the, the charges against this person is uh, just, just straight out wrong or, or I'm not in agreement with everybody that's on the jury, uh, I should be able to disagree. And, and I think the problem is is jurors think that they have to agree. There has to be a percentage. Okay, 9-1, that's wrong. I might as well jump over with the 9. It's not majority rules. You, these days, I mean, with the, like, like you were talking about, one, all it takes is one juror to do the right thing, and that's what we need to make happen. Yeah, we have to have backbone, you know. We can't just fall in line and do what everyone else is doing. You know, that's not the American way. That's not what made this country great, what even gave us our freedom. You know, our founding fathers fought the Revolutionary War to bring us freedom. So, you know, we should at least stand up for freedoms we already have. You know, but too many Americans don't do that, you know. We need, we need more direct involvement, so, especially Alex, in court. How many uh, uh, branches of the Fully Informed Jury Association are there across the country right now? Well, there, there are, uh, there's one, well, Fiji is one uh, giant group. I mean, it's the main one. It, it's in Helena, Montana. It was uh, formed by Larry Dodge. But there are state groups as well. I mean, any state can form uh, 
a jury group and just do bring, try to bring justice to the state. I, I don't know if every state does that, but certainly all the states have the right to do that. I mean, people can do that and inform groups any way they want. Okay, so in Colorado Springs or in Colorado, how can folks get involved and, and how can they reach you? Oh, they can uh, email me at um, patriot1701 at yahoo.com or they can uh, go to the Fiji website. I'm listed there. And that they can learn all sorts of things there. Um, let's see. I'm also on Facebook if anyone wants to look me up there. Okay. So there, right. there are different ways of getting a hold of me. And I know we have, uh, you, you've provided a just cause with several copies of the Citizens Rule Book, as well as uh, a quick cheat sheet uh, from the American Jury Institute uh, for prospective jurors. And so uh, we can. Uh, get that out to folks if they want to contact us on that. Again, you can contact a Just Cause at contact at a-justcause.com. Again, contact at a-justcause.com, and we will get out to you uh, the Citizens Rulebook uh, and the Bill of Rights is the jury handbook, as well as the little quick cheat sheet on prospective jurors. Um, as far as um, the, the website uh, Alex, what's that website again? Uh, org. Okay, that's Alex Dorbey. Alex, thanks again for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you again, and we appreciate what you're doing out there as far as helping to get uh, uh, our, our citizens and our, our public educated on uh, what's going on and what their rights are as far as uh, being able to to execute, you know, justice exactly. in the, from the jury room. You know, that's, that's something where, that's, that's important. That's it. That's where it starts. So we're going to okay, take a... Go ahead, go ahead, Alex. Thing, uh, it, it's been said that we have three methods of, of supporting our freedom. One is the ballot box, one is the jury box, and one is the ammo box. Well, we're already losing by the ballot box. We've been losing uh, our rights for decades now, and voting isn't helping. So it's time to start using the jury box. We need to, to take that back and use uh, juries to protect people, because if we fail there, then the last method of freedom is the ammo box. That, that's essentially civil war, and man, no sane person wants that. So uh, let's try and use the jury box to bring freedom back to America. That, that's an excellent way to, to do it. Absolutely. That's Alex Dorvey of the Fully Informed Jury Association. Thanks for joining us, Alex. We're going to take a quick short break, and then we're going to come back. This is a Just Cause Coast to Coast where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 
873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. Just Cause, Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman, Ethel Lopez, and Cliff Stewart are on assignment. Holding the fort down on, in their stead is Wayne Wright and uh, Dennis Merritt. Uh, so, uh, Alex Dorbay uh, with the Fully Informed Jury Association always provides a lot of valuable information, a lot of good information, and want to put that offer out there again. You can go to contact at a-justcause.com. Contact at a-justcause.com, and we'll send you out a uh, citizen's rule book. Uh, it's a bill of rights for the for jurors, and a lot of good information in there. One thing I want to take a, just a few moments to talk about is a, a couple of weeks ago, we had a situation where uh, the attorneys for the IRP-6 filed a bond, a motion for bond pending appeal. Now, it was filed on a Saturday, and very quickly on that next Monday, it was denied. So that made us, you know, question what is going on and then to see that it was signed by the deputy clerk of the court. 
Now, that really raised eyebrows. And so, you know, Ms. Lopez, she made a couple phone calls to find out, you know, if the, uh, if the appellate judges had actually re- reviewed it. It's like, how can a three-panel uh, appellate judge uh, panel review a motion that quick? Thank First you. of all, the core of the of the of the motion itself was like 20 pages. And then all the uh, the uh, substantive supporting documentation added up to like you know 700 pages. It's like, do you just look at the title of it and and just say denied? I don't think so. Yeah, no so way. what Miss Lopez found out is that the appellate judges had not seen it. So it's, that was like, okay, something is really wrong here. And how can a how can a, a uh, deputy clerk of the court just sign a, a motion, sign an order saying denied? And, and, and the other thing, too, is that the order had no, no content. Right. No decision, just a signature. Denied. Well, well it, it said after careful consideration, denied. And so you look at something like that, and, it's, and so, you know, we started asking questions, and, and we put out a, uh, a press release on it. And uh, and it even lets you know that something is wrong because we put this press release out last thir- a, a week ago, and that press release is now at a hundred and thirty thousand impressions. Wow, a hundred and thirty thousand. That's a lot. And now you know we we get a lot of traction on our press releases, but that is a lot within a seven day period. That's a record breaker. And, and so you know one of the things that we looked at is that uh, that when you have and we found also that there were other motions uh, that uh, for bond pending appeal. Then there was also a writ of mandamus that was uh, filed on behalf of the IRP6, all of them with the same results, all of them signed by the clerk of the court. Now, some people are going to argue that, well, the clerk of the court can sign on behalf of the judge. The judge says so. Yeah, but if the judge never sees it, that's a problem. That's a problem. And a clerk cannot just unilaterally look at something and and just sign it and 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 issue an order. It kind it kind of sounds like uh, the the clerk was given instructions that anything that comes in reference to uh, IRP six, all I want you to do is sign it and deny it. Kind of sounds like. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> That's what it exactly sounds like. Sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because, come on, there's no way that that uh, they could have viewed that. That that's impossible. And well, then, if I'm not mistaken, it was a did. holiday. It wasn't their holiday in there somewhere. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, so so that takes a day away right there. Plus, most of the people, you know, they're on four day weekend. Well, when when it was filed, there was not a holiday. But but the uh, when it was filed, still it was over a weekend. But still, when it when it comes into and and you get an order back on Monday after it was filed wow. on Saturday. And it just says denied. You know that no one looked at it. No way. And so, you know, we started asking questions about it. And, and uh, even Tracy Collins, uh, who is an uh, investigative, investigative reporter from the U.K., she made some phone calls on it. And, and she actually uh, spoke to the deputy clerk of the court, uh, Chris Wolpert, and asked him. Uh, so this uh, motion and this order that came down on the IRP6, you signed it. Uh, and isn't your protocol, aren't your rules that it's supposed to go to the judges? And that's one of the things that uh, Ms. Lopez found out is that uh, the, the staff at the offices of the appellate judges, they made it very clear to Ms. Lopez that when we get an emergency uh, motion for bond pending appeal or if it's a, if a, a bond pending appeal uh, uh, request, that is emailed over to us from the clerk of the court 
for consideration by the judge because we know we have to act on that quickly. Right. That the yeah. appellate judge's staff didn't see anything. They had no record of an email. So wow. Tracy Collins actually queried uh, Mr. Wolpert on that and said, uh, isn't your rule that you're supposed to email this thing over to the, to the uh, judges? Uh, yeah. Well, when did you send that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and so Ms. Collins pressed him a little bit further and said, well, you know, you can check your sent email folder. Yeah, right. yeah that does work. Well, <laughs> that will work. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. How are you going to have to get back to somebody on something like that? All you got to do is just it's one click. You go to your sent folder and say, here's the timestamp. I sent it. I mean, if you have nothing to hide, then you can readily say, here's the date and the time that I sent this over to the judges for their consideration. If you have nothing to hide. If you have nothing to hide. That's just like over 200 pages of transcript that's missing. If you have nothing, nothing to, to hide, hide. Mm-hmm. why are you withholding over 200 pages of transcript, Judge Christine Arguello? And, I mean, <laughs> we know the Tenth Circuit doesn't move that quickly. I mean, how long have we been waiting on an, a, a, a decision on the appeals opinion to come back? Well, that's the problem, Wayne, is that the Tenth Circuit does move quickly in general. And when I say quickly, their average... I'm, I'm, I'm saying for the IRP. Exactly. Days. Their average, according to their, practic- their practitioner's guide, is 8.2 months on ruling on, on cases uh, that's uh, within the appellate court. Right, best in the nation. And, and the IRP-6 had been incarcerated for two years. Two years. And from the time of notice of appeal to now, 32 months. 32 months. And from the time that the, uh, what they say is uh, the case is fully briefed, it was January of 2013. So now we're at 18 months that the, it was fully briefed. So they, you know, they let them know 32 months ago that we're going to be filing a, a, a motion for a, we're going to be appealing this case mm-hmm. 32 months ago. And then 18 months ago, they had all the information. And then we know also that based on some other discussions we've had that the appellate judges ruled on this a long time ago. So where is the bottleneck? There's so much corruption in this case, it's unbelievable. When this corruption is uncovered, America is going to be like, wow, they really did this. They really did this to these men. Because there's all, all, you, all, all I can say is there's so much cover-up, it's unbelievable. It's dirty. Unbelievable. You know, one thing that as far as even, you know, a lot of the things, even with the over 200 pages of the transcript, uh, Judge uh, H. Lee Serkin did a three-part series in the Huffington Post. And so we want to encourage people to go out there and read that. And, uh, and you can see for yourself how it breaks down that uh, these gentlemen should not be incarcerated. We ask that you keep our brothers in prayer. That's the IRP6, Gary Walker, David Banks, Dave Zerpolo, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Demetrius Harper. Yes, you would go out onto uh, our, our website, and that is a-justcause.com. Click on the button that gives you more information about the Justice for All Reauthorization Act, and then you'll get a lot of other information out there as well. With regard to the IRP-6, we ask that you go to change.org, do a search on the IRP-6, and sign the petition uh, to request Attorney General Eric Holder to investigate this situation with over 200 pages of transcript. By the time it's all said and done, they're going to be doing an investigation on a lot of things. And what else are we asking folks to do, Dennis, as far as reaching out to the Attorney General? Hey, we definitely want you to call. Call, call, call. I mean, don't stop calling. If they try to transfer you over to uh, the Denver office, tell them, no, I don't want to be transferred. I want to talk to someone in uh, Mr. Holder's office. 
because we need to make something happen. These guys are innocent. They should not be in prison, and uh, we need your help to get them out. And here's the numbers. I'm going to give you two numbers. Please call, call, call. Here's the numbers, 202-514-2003. And another number is 202-514-2005. Make that call. And, Wayne, we talked a lot tonight about jury nullification and the jury in the IRP6 case. There was obviously something went wrong there as well. But we're putting out a call to the, to the jurors who are involved and to, in essence, educate them on the fact that they have rights. What are we asking Absolutely. them to do? Uh, give us a call, 347-838-8976. Let us know any questions that you have about the case. We'd be happy to talk to you about it. You can also contact us through the email, contact at ajustcause.com. That's a-justcause.com. And then also for uh, archive programs, uh, archive of, of tonight's program, you can go to ajcradio.com and click on the archive button. You can uh, get a lot of information. You'll see all the photos of all the folks we've had on the programs. You can go back and listen to all the different programs. For 24 by 7 programming, you can go to AJC, I'm sorry, you can go to live365.com. That's for AJC IRP uh, programming. We ask that you like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. On Sunday mornings, Every Sunday morning from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, you can go to Progressive Radio Network and uh, listen to another uh, episode of A Just Cause Coast to Coast. Uh, You get there by going to prn.fm. Again, that's prn.fm. We'd like to say thank you to our guests uh, that appeared on the program this evening. We'd like to say thank you to Howell Waltz. And Howell is pushing for uh, an ombudsman program uh, across all federal districts. And obviously, it'll spill into the uh, state courts. And this is something that's sorely needed. So we ask that you go out to ombudsmannow.com, ombudsmannow.com, sign the petition. Also, on the program, Howell, he made an offer. Uh, He has a book, a new book out called Way Back to America. Uh, and how we made an offer that if you contact him through a just cause, he will send you a free copy of the book. Uh, so uh, send us an email at contact at a-justcause.com. Again, contact at a-justcause.com. And then for the Fully Informed Jury Association, you can get information. Uh, the Citizens Rule Book is basically a Bill of Rights uh, jury handbook uh, that uh, – Alex Dorvey, so we want to thank Alex Dorvey for joining us as well from the Fully Fully Informed Jury Association. But we'll make that uh, booklet available to you as well by going to uh, a-justcause.com and sending us an email at contact at a-justcause.com. Now, they are laughing at me in the production room because they know I'm going to do the commitment. So (laughs) to help you out with that. (laughs) So at any rate, we want to thank uh, thank our research team, the AJC Radio research team, and also the production team, K&D Productions, Captain Kyle and Dustin. And then I'm going to get it right tonight. Ill Skillers Girl. Hey, I got it. Go. <laughs> <laughs> also, in their absence, Ethel Lopez and Cliff Stewart, uh, we miss you. We're looking forward to you coming back. I uh, want to say a shout-out to Miss Barbara. Also, Lynette, thanks for uh, Olivia. Uh, Olivia is also uh, on assignment. And so, you know, we have a whole bunch of folks that just pitch in. And, again, you know, Dennis and and Wayne, appreciate you guys being here. Uh, We ask that you go out to – the other night we had uh, Attorney Forsyth on out of Denver. And he has an initiative uh, called cleanupthecourts.org. We ask that you go out there and find out more information about that as well. And then uh, another thing, 
Hey, just, you know, this thing about uh, the missing transcript and all this kind of stuff, we just got to keep the momentum going right. on keep that. Keep it going. Keep it keep going. Keep the pressure on them. Make them call. Join us right here each Tuesday and Thursday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time at Just Cause Coast to Coast, where we bring you education, awareness, and information about judicial injustice. I'm Sam Thurman on behalf of Cliff Stewart and Ethel Lopez, as well as Dennis Merritt and Wayne Wright. Good night, America. Good night, y'all. Good night. Talk, news, politics, and inspiration. And to the truth, we want to say thank you. You know who you out there for us. You are listening to Radio. Listening to AJJ.